I'll ask the rest of you, if you would, open your Bibles this morning to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 13 this morning. We have been taking some time over the last few weeks to begin to look at and re-examine, if you will, our purpose as a church. Every week for almost three years you're in your bulletins has been printed a purpose for Northside Baptist Church. And as we finished First Peter a number of weeks ago, we decided, or the Lord impressed upon me, and, and uh, that we needed to refocus our attention on our purpose as the church of Jesus Christ, as, and in particular as Northside Baptist Church. What is it that God has called us to do? And we've seen that, that God's plan, God has a plan for his church. In fact, the church is the primary means by which God has purposed to accomplish, or God has designed, rather, to accomplish his purposes in the earth. The church is high on God's priority. But it's not so high on our priority. Not talking about us specifically, but just in general as Christians. The church has kind of gotten a, a bad rap over the years. People have lost sight of the significance of the local church. They, they prefer to think of the church as just the, the, universal, the universal church in the sense that all believers everywhere, and, and we need to think of that in, in Scripture and the application that it contains as far as the universal church. And I'm not denying that there is a universal church, that there is, there is a, a sense in which all the believers of all time, of everywhere, that, you know, there are people of all denom different denominations, that there's believers that are all going to be in heaven one day. But the reality is, is the expression of the church, glorious, which is the universal church, the only expression of that on earth is the local church. God designed the local church to carry out his purposes. God gave directions to the local church. The, most of the New Testament is directed to local churches. It's written to local churches. This book here in Ephesians, it's written to the church at Ephesus. It's a particular people in a particular, in a particular congregation. Now, there's application to different local churches as God inspired the words to be written, but the, the applications of God's word are meant to be carried out by local bodies of believers. And so that's why we've taking some time to refocus our energy and looking at what it is that God has called us to do from Scripture as His church. So let's look at our vision statement together this morning. It says, Northside Baptist Church seeks to glorify God by exalting Christ, empowering His church, and engaging the culture with the gospel in our community and around the world by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we've been looking at this statement for the last couple of weeks. The first thing in that statement, Northside Baptist Church seeks to glorify God. That is our primary objective. We want to glorify God. God is supremely concerned with his own glory. The reason why anything even exists, why there is even a creation, is so that God will be glorified. The psalmist says the heavens declare the glory of God. God created things in order to glorify his name. And since he's concerned about his glory, we also ought to be concerned about his glory. That is our primary objective, to glorify God. How do we do that? Our primary purpose, rather, is to glorify God. How do we do that? We do that by exalting Christ. We looked at that last week out of the book of Philippians, and we saw that 
in Philippians chapter 2, in verses 8 through 13, that ultimately that God's purpose in the church is to glorify Christ so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So if we're going to glorify God, we need to exalt Jesus Christ. And so we're going to exalt Jesus Christ and, and our pursuit of exalting Christ under the glory of God is going to help us to carry out our other two objectives, empowering his church and engaging the culture. This morning, we're going to be looking at the second of those objectives, empowering his church. And I want to talk to you a little bit about what that means to empower his church and then talk to you about how we do it from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning as we read from God's holy word. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ." Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to the truths that you would have us learn this morning. We ask, Lord, for abundant grace. We ask for illumination by your Spirit. We ask for application to our own personal lives and to the life of this church. And Lord, we pray, as always, that you would be glorified through the proclamation of your word. Protect me from error as I speak. Open our hearts to receive truth. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said, the, the glory of God is our primary objective. In fact, in, in leading up to this passage of the Apostle Paul at the very end, of chapter 3, and since you're already in Ephesians 4, you might as well just turn back to chapter 3 for just a moment and look there at verses 20 and 21, and it says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And the Apostle Paul is, is telling us and reminding us that it's really all about glorifying God. And he says, and what does that look like? He says, that is manifested in the way that the church operates. And he gets, as he gets down into chapter 4, and he's, and he's talking about the unity of the church, and he's in, encouraging unity among the people. And he says in verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. He's talking about the unity within the body of Christ, within the local church. And he's, and he's telling us, and then he gets down into verse 11, and he says, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. And he's, and he's telling us that, that God is doing all of this. He's giving us these gifts. Why? For the equipping of the saints, right? For the building up of the church. When we talk about what does it mean to empower the church, that's what it means. What it, right, it says there in verse 12. For the equipping of the saints, to the building, for the work of service, to the building up of the church. That's what it means to empower his church. 
when we're talking about the empowering of the church, we're talking about equipping and we're talking about edifying. We're, ta we're talking about the necessity that believers need to be equipped. It's not enough just for us to profess faith in Christ. We, I mean, that's a glorious thing. When someone makes a profession of faith and they come to faith in Christ and, they, and they're saved and that's a glorious reality, but God doesn't want to just leave them where they are in that moment. He wants to transform them. He wants to conform them into the image of his son. Well, how does that happen? It doesn't just happen magically. Yes, they're given the indwelling Holy Spirit that can, that can speak to them and can lead them and can instruct them, but they need, uh, they need a body of believers to come around them and to love on them and to encourage them and to instruct them. They need a place where they can go and they can hear the word proclaimed. They need a place where they can recognize with the difficulties that they're going through in life how people are going to come around them and help them walk through those trials and those difficulties and understand what does God, God's word have to say about where I am right now. People need the church. God's design has always been for the church. And so he wants to empower his people to accomplish his purposes. So when we talk about empowering the church, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about equipping them, and we're talking about edifying them. So what is equipping? Well, that's training, right? Equipping is training. It, it's teaching. It's helping them to understand the word of God. The, it represents the ministry of the word. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 4, the apostles, are, they're confronted with conflict in the church. There's stuff going on. There's people that are unhappy. And the apostles say, you know what? You need to appoint some people to handle the, the difficulty that's going on in the church, handle the conflict, handle these other ministries, because as for us, we're going to dedicate ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Because that was their primary calling, was to teach the people. They needed to pray for the people. They needed to pray for their own strength. They needed to pray for God's will, God's wisdom, and God's guidance. And they needed to teach the Word of God. Also, in 2 Timothy 3.16, we're told the very reason why God gives us Scripture. All Scripture is inspired of God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. God has given us His Word in order that we might be equipped so that we can... Equipped for what? Well, the text tells us here in, in verse number 12. He says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service. We need to be equipped in order that we might serve the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that service look like? Well, first it's service in the church. And then it's also service in the name of Christ to others. And so we need to be equipped. We need to understand and know God's word. That's how we are equipped. We're talking about empowering the body of Christ so that Jesus will be exalted among us and God will be glorified. All of this ties in together. The most tragic reality in the life of a believer is when they've learned so much or think they've learned so much that they become unteachable. Listen, we never get there. We never get to the point where we still don't need instruction, where we still don't need to be discipled. We need people in our lives that will disciple us, and we need to be looking for people that we can disciple. That's how God designed the church. That's our purpose. That's for the glory of God that we would submit ourselves under godly leadership in order that we might grow in faith and understanding and that we might teach others the same. And here's the thing. We can never think that we're above learning. We can never think that we have all the answers. 
How many times in your life have you learned something from your kids? Right? Completely different experience, completely different maturity, completely, and yet they will say some of the most profound things, and you're just like, how come I didn't know that? And, and, it's, and it's amazing. And so we can never think that we're above the need to be discipled. We are always in a place where we can grow and learn more. It's really so unfortunate that we, we tend to neglect that reality and that understanding and that we need to be equipped and that we need the church the, the, the attitude that people have to the church, it's so, it's so frustrating. But it, it's so obvious in the world in which we live. You think about how, how, how easily and how quickly people just, just switch churches. You think about how people just, they, they either don't understand or don't really care about the process and the importance of church membership. And, and when we look at Scripture, we see these things being played out and that these things were, were existent in the early church, that there, that there was a, a method and there was a means of keeping track, and there was accountability within the body, and yet we don't want any of that anymore. People don't want to be held accountable. People don't, they just don't think it's that important. That's, you know what? That's why we need to be equipped, because we don't understand any longer the significance of the church. But if we had been equipped with the Word of God, we would understand God's purpose and God's desire for His church. So, so empowering comes through equipping. It also comes through edifying. Again, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. That, those words, building up, if you have a King James translation, it says edification or to the edifying of the church. And that word edifying, it's not, it's not a word you hear a lot in just normal conversation, but it is a biblical word and it is a, it is a good word to describe what happens among the, a body of believers, what ought to be happening among a body of believers. It is a word in the Greek that, that most literally speaks of building a house. Well, guess what? We're building a house. We're building up the Lord's house. And, and, we're, and, and what is the Lord's house? We're, Peter, First Peter tells us that we're living stones, right, being built together into, into the Lord's house. And so, so we're we are being built together. Well, how, what, does that, what does that look like? Well, that's all of the things... First of all, equipping goes into that, right? The training and the teaching goes into the, to the being edified, being built up, being built up in the faith, being built up in understanding, being built up in knowledge. It goes to being encouraged by other believers, by, by walking through difficulties and having believers come alongside of you and say, you know, I, I, I don't really understand what you're going through, but, I, but I'm praying for you. And if, there, and if there's something I can do to help you, I want to be there and I want to help you. And, and we, need to, we need to be doing that for one another. Edification is that idea of building each other up in order that Christ might be exalted. Because the relationships within the church are so extremely important, and we're going to talk more about that in just a minute. But it is the equipping of the church for encouraging and strengthening one another. We might continue to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. God has saved you for the specific purpose of adding you to his body through a local church that you might be equipped to serve and to build up his body. As we seek to glorify God, we have to understand we glorify God by following his plan for the church. This is his plan. So how do we do it? 
How do we empower, and after all, it is his church. It's not just the church, but his church. How do we do that? Well, we see, I think the primary means by which we accomplish the equipping and the edifying of the saints, the empowering of his church, we do that through having right relationships. And that's really what this passage is about when we look at these verses. It talks about the relationships that exist within the body of Christ. And there's three relationships that need to be right in order for the church to carry out its purposes. The first of those relationships is the relationship between a congregation and its leadership. If you notice back in verse 11, the Apostle Paul says that there's been four offices given to the church. He says there, he says, and he, that is God, gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Now, the first two offices, those of prophets and apostles, those were imperative for the establishing of the early church. The New Testament had yet not been completed. The, the gospel was going forth. The apostles were, were commissioned to carry the gospel out and to, and to plant churches and to spread the gospel and to preach the kingdom. And as the kingdom was going out and the apostles were writing and others were being um, given, given understanding and given empowerment by the Holy Spirit to speak the truth of God, to build up the church, the, the apostles and the prophets were necessary. But guess what? When the, when the completion of the New Testament came and God's word was finalized and the apostle, the apostle John, John, who was the last of the apostles, finally passed away, those offices ceased to be necessary and they're no longer active in the church in the way that they were in the first century. Apostles and prophets were for a very specific time and a very specific purpose in the establishing of the church. But these other offices that, that he gives us, these are still active. These are things that are still ongoing and still necessary for the church. These are the leaders that we have today, evangelists and pastors and teachers. Now, the evangelist is not, as, as we understand it from Scripture, we have to understand, first of all, that God is saying that he has given the evangelist to the church. A lot of times when we think about evangelists, we think about people who have self-sustaining and self-glorifying ministries, right? They're, they're, they have their name stamped on the ministry. They're the ones going out. They're doing their thing. They're collecting their, their uh, money and their resources. And, and I'm not saying that that's entirely bad, but they need or should be to be biblical. They need to be connected and accountable to a local church. But the evangelist is a gift to the church. And, that is, and it refers to somebody who's especially gifted in sharing the gospel, in winning souls to Christ, and in training others to do the same. That's what the evangelist is. That, that is the biblical role of the evangelist. And then, of course, there is that of the, it says, pastors and teachers. Now, the Greek construction here would suggest that this actually refers to one position, a pastor-teacher. Not, not a, the pastor and teachers as we a lot of times understand it, but just one position, pastor, the pastor-teacher who has been given the role. Obviously, pastor is that of is the word that refers to a shepherd who cares for and watches over the sheep. And then the teacher, of course, is the primary role, which we've already seen, of the pastor, which is to teach the sheep, to instruct and encourage and, and to help them to grow in faith and understanding and wisdom. Excuse me. So the responsibility is given to the pastor to equip the saints. And that's, that's one aspect of, of edification, growth in truth and knowledge concerning Christ and his word. You know, when Paul defends his apostleship to the Corinthians, he, he does so in such a way as to help them to recognize his primary purpose. In 2 Corinthians um, 
chapter 12, verse 19, he says this. He says, all this time you have been thinking that we are defending ourselves to you. Actually, it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding or all for your edification, depending on your translation. See, the purpose of Paul in, in speaking to the church was not to make himself look good. The purpose in Paul speaking to the church was so that the church might be built up in the truth of Christ. See, there were people that were coming into the church and that they were saying, well, you know what, that Paul, he's no good. He's just out for himself. He's just trying to, he's just trying to win you over so that he has authority and so that he can, he can tell you what to do. And that's not really in, in, in accordance with what, God, what God's word says. And, and Paul says, listen, I'm not doing this for my own benefit. I'm doing this for your good. I'm preaching God's word so that you'll grow. I'm preaching God's word so that, so that you'll be built up in the faith. I'm preaching God's word so that you can be encouraged and strengthened. It is the responsibility of edification that is so important for all pastors to understand that they have been given the responsibility of pouring into the sheep so that they might be built up in the faith and be strengthened in their walk with Christ. But equally important, if we recognize the relationship of the the church to their leaders is the responsibility not just of pastors toward the congregation but the congregation towards the pastor and in hebrews 13 17 it says this it says obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account pastors should never get up for their own self grandeur they should never get up for their own self-righteousness they should never get up in order just to achieve power they should never get up just to have a paycheck. They should never get up just to influence people. They should get up because they are accountable to God. They've been called of God and they have a desire to carry out God's purpose. And so they submit themselves to him in seeking to lead the church. But you know what? You can't lead people that don't want to be led. So the Bible says, church, obey your leaders, submit to them. Listen, if a, if a pastor gets up and he's doing something that's unbiblical, if he's doing something that goes against Scripture, if he's doing something that, that offends the name of God, get rid of that guy. He shouldn't be there. But if he's taking you to the Word, and he's teaching you the Word, and he's leading you in the Word, support him. Pray for him. Encourage him. Follow him. Because it's pleasing in the sight of God. He's going to give an account for everything that he says and does as your, as your pastor. I'm going to give an account for everything I say and do as your pastor. I am accountable to God primarily, first and foremost. But there has to be that relationship. The church will never be what God has intended for it to be if the relationship between the congregation and its leaders is not right. There has to be that relationship. A solid relationship between a church and its leaders. We also have to recognize the second relationship, and that is the relationship within the church of members towards one another. Look with me again at verse number 12. It says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Now, we focused on the equipping and the building up aspect of that just a moment ago. But you have to understand this. If, if where's the work of service happening? It's happening in the church among its members, right? Where's the building up happening? It's happening among the members, right? It's not just, it's not just the leaders that are responsible for, for the building up. That's primarily their, their purpose, but we have to build up one another. 
We have to be rightly related to one another. We have to, we have to see our brothers and sisters ac across the aisle from us. We need to know what's going on in their life. We need to invest ourselves in them, encourage them, strengthen them, grow together as we have struggles in life. We share those. This is why we have this is why we do Sunday school. This is why we have the, the small groups in the, in the church called Sunday school, is so that people can get to know one another and encourage one another and strengthen one another and be there for one another. It's the building up of the church by having right relationships with one another. You know what? So, so much harm is done in the church because people won't rightly relate to one another. They want to be friends with just the people they want to be friends with, and they don't want to let other people into their little circles, and, they're, and they want to be, and then, they, and then they, they, they talk, and they, and they murmur, and they gossip, and they do all these things. You know, the, the main ways that we foster right relationships within the church is through our words and through our actions, right? I mean, that's not, that's not that difficult, right? I mean, attitudes are not always on the surface. That's part of it, but it's primarily through words and actions, right? What, is, what does Paul say later on about our words? Ephesians chapter 4, later on in the same chapter, verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Now listen, we, I think a lot of times we read that and we think, well, that means that when we're talking to people, we ought to say nice things. Well, certainly, but I mean, that's just... That's just good etiquette. But you know what? It means a whole lot more than that. It means that when we're talking to other people, we, not, we ought not to be talking about other people. It means we ought not to be gossiping and murmuring and complaining and grumbling. In fact, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul tells us that very thing. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why? So that you're, you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. You know what it means? So if you're complaining and disputing, you're not blameless and innocent. He says, so that you will be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among you, whom you appear as lights in the world. So if we're doing the things that we know we're not supposed to do, we're not different than the crooked and perverse generation that we're in the midst of. We're just like them. And then what happens to that light that we're supposed to be to the world around us? That light begins to flicker and fade. We're not being the light of Christ. We're not carrying those things out because we're not fostering the relationships within the church that God tells us that are so important. Excuse me. When we violate the instruction, it diminishes our ability to build up the church. Everything that we do is supposed to be for the building up of the church. 1 Corinthians 14, 26, it, it, it's the end, very end of the verse, but it says this, let all things be done for edification. Let all things be done for the building up of the church. This means songs, teaching, preaching, all the activities of the assembled church. But it's not just the things that we do when we come together. It's also the things to do, that we do when we go out. When we come together on Sunday morning, it's not the only time we're supposed to be nice to one another. The Lord intends his church to be there for each other and support one another regularly. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. Paul gave a word of commendation to the Thessalonians. He says, listen, you're doing a good thing. Don't stop. Keep building up one another. Keep encouraging one another. Keep sanctifying one another. You know what? It's easy for us to be so consumed with our own personal lives. And you know what? Life is busy. I get it. I got, I got 150 different things going on. 
We got all the different activities that we've got going on with the church. I got all the different activities I got going on with my family. We, we were at a conference this, at, a, at a homeschooling convention um, the last few days. And like the first day of the convention, this last Thursday, my son, we got a notice on Wednesday that my son Andrew, he, had, he was going to have a, an unscheduled uh, scrimmage for his ultimate flight or his ultimate Frisbee team. And, uh, and I was like, well, we're going to be in the middle of this conference. And we're, you know, of course, we're only in Nashville. And it's going to be in Brentwood. I'm like, all right, we can make this work. We'll go to the first two sessions here, and then we'll get in the car, and we'll drive to Brentwood. We'll go to the, that there, and we'll drive back to Nashville, and we'll catch the last session there, and then we'll get the whole family together, and then we'll go home. And, and we did. And it's crazy, and it's busy. And I understand all of our lives are, are crazy busy like that. We've got, we've got so many options of things that we can be doing, and there's so many things that we want to get done, and we've got family spread out all over the place, and we're trying to go here, and we're trying to do this, and we're trying to do that. And if we're not careful, we allow the busyness of life to choke out the relationships that God desires for us to have with other believers. And we need to be careful that we don't allow that to happen. Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Listen, we can't love each other if we're not around each other. We can't love each other if, 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 if we're only interested in what, what we want and what makes us happy. The problem is, is a lot of times in the church, what happens is, is we, we want to love the people that we like. Well, you know what? That, that's easy to do. Jesus says even the heathens do that. You know what? They care for the people that their families and the people that they like. Jesus says you need to love for the people that don't like you. You got to love the people that have despised you and the people that are using you and the people that have offended you and the people that make you mad. We need to be looking for opportunities to demonstrate love towards others. As, as uh, part of the conference um, yesterday, uh, uh, yesterday evening, in fact, um, had the privilege of sitting in a conference with uh, uh, Ray Comfort, who's part of Living Waters Ministries. I don't know if any of you know or are familiar with Way of the Master um, evangelism program, but he did that. And he was, he was talking or sharing a little bit about some of the videos that he's got. And he's got a ton of videos out on YouTube. Highly encourage you to check those out. But he was talking about engaging atheists and, and, uh, with, a, with a biblical worldview. And there's one particular YouTuber um, that would respond in videos to, towards Ray and, and would post things and to uh, contradict and, and to cause conflict and everything, you know, and, and she had a following and he had a following and, and, uh, and there's always this, this online conflict constantly going on between the two and in and, uh, one of her more recent posts, um, of course, you know, she doesn't have a lot of nice things to say about him and he's, he's always trying to manipulate, he's always trying to do this, blah, 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 and and uh, she says, and I know he's got to hate me because of this. And, and, uh, and so what, uh, what Ray did, and, uh, and he and his wife, they, just, they, sent, they sent her a card with a $100 gift card in it and just said, saw your most recent post on the Internet, by the way, we don't hate you. And she posted a video, and she was, I mean, she was, and she was so moved by his compassion and by his care that she was just, she was just in tears. And she posted that and shared that, and I thought, man, think about the impact that we could have if we would just be that considerate and that caring about people within the body. And then to think about, because unless we're doing it here, we're not going to do it outside, outside these walls. When we do it here, then that carries over in, in our relationships and the love that we have for Christ overflows what we do outside the walls of the church also. You know, we, all, we just, 
It's hard to love people that are difficult. It's hard to love people that offend us. But listen, that's not an excuse. Christ has called us to love them regardless, to show them his love. And and here's the reality. Whether they deserve it or not, how much of God's love do we deserve? There's not a bit of God's love that we deserve. We were were rebellious against God. We were seeking our own way. We had rejected his provision. We had rejected his law. We had said, I'm going to do things my way. And we've all been there at some point in our life. I'm going to do things my way. But what does the Bible tell us? Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to come to him. He didn't wait for us to ask for a provision. He made it when we were in rebellion and when we were being offensive and when we were denying him. Love those you're close to, but be intentional about loving those that you're not. Look for opportunities to demonstrate the love of Christ to others whether it's to visitors, to an estranged family member, or maybe someone who's offended and hurt you. Be intentional about showing Christian love so that Christ will be exalted and God will be glorified. Because that love just may be what helps to lead somebody to faith and repentance, which is the third and final relationship that's most most essential to the church, and that's relationship of the church to Christ. And when I mean the church to Christ, I'm talking about us individually and corporately. Our vision statement says that we're seeking to empower not the church, but his church. It is, it is his church, and we owe him allegiance. And there's the church is a special institution of the Lord Jesus Christ that has been purchased with his blood. It belongs to him, and it is of the utmost. Uh, most importance that we maintain our relationship with him. Listen, I don't for a second believe that God is going to cast away any one of us at any time for anything. I believe in the perseverance of the saints and the eternal security that once once God saves you and he redeems you, that he's never going to let you go. But that doesn't mean that our relationship is always right either. And, and our responsibility and our desire is that our relationship would be so good with Christ that others would see it and want to come to know him as well. Because as our relationship with him is good, it's attractive to the world around us. Because it's not not that that God, excuse me, it's not that we have everything together and it's not that everything's going right, but it's that God is so good and he is so worthy. And that when our relationship with him is right, it doesn't matter what comes into our life. We can endure and we can overcome by his power and by his grace. You know what, and when the world sees that, when the world recognizes that reality in the church, then people begin to take notice and begin to want that same kind of relationship. They want to know Christ. With every, every one of us has broken God's law. Every one of us is deserving of his judgment. You know that? talk to so many people, people in the church, people outside of the church. You talk to them about eternity, you talk to them about heaven, and and 
I will say 75% of the time when you're talking to somebody about heaven, about eternity, about what's going to happen when they die, and you say, you know, you, you, are you going to go to heaven? Yeah. And, and most of the time, if you ask them how they know they're going to go to heaven, 75% of the time, and this isn't a statistic that I pulled off the Internet. This is just from personal experience. 75% of the time, they're going to make some reference to how good they are. Listen, you will never be good enough for heaven. It's not going to happen. You're never going to be good enough. Um, listen to uh, this, this last Thursday. I listened to a guy, uh, Eric Hoven, who's, a, who's an apologist, works with creation today. And, and uh, he was talking. He was sharing his testimony. He was talking about growing up. He had a real strong Christian family. He said he grew up in a Christian home. He says, but I'll tell you something. He says, growing up in a Christian home will not make you a follower of Jesus Christ. He says, growing up in a Christian home will make you a product of, an envi- of your environment, but it will not make you a disciple of Jesus Christ. You have got to come to that place where you recognize your sin, where you repent, and where you turn yourself over to the Lord Jesus Christ. None of us are good enough. Doesn't matter how good your home life was. Doesn't matter how many times you went to church. Doesn't matter how many acts of service you did in the church. None of that will get you into heaven. None of that makes you right with God. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote in in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. Of course, he's quoting from the Old Testament. He says, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. What hope do we have in ourselves? None. None deserve it. Yet God sent his son. He sent his son into the world to meet his perfect standard. And so that he might become our substitute and endure God's wrath against our sin. There are none so good to deserve forgiveness, but neither are those whose sin is so awful that they are beyond God's gracious offer of salvation. I've talked to a number of people over the years, and I'll share with them, they're just they're broken and they're hurting and they and they they desire forgiveness for what they've done but they just feel like they just they're too far gone they feel like god just couldn't possibly forgive them listen if god can forgive the apostle paul for for killing christians and seeking to destroy his church he can forgive you if god can forgive the thief on the cross who was not just a thief he was a murderer He was a rebel. He was an insurrectionist. And that guy couldn't do anything except ask for his forgiveness. If God can forgive those guys, he can forgive you. We are never beyond Christ's, the grace of Christ or the sufficiency of his sacrifice. If we ever come to a point where we think someone is beyond redemption, we've ultimately made a statement saying that the blood of Jesus is insufficient. Listen, the blood of Christ is sufficient to save every sinner who ever walked the face of the earth. But it's only efficient for those who actually repent and believe. The blood only applies to those who come in faith and repentance before God. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. And when he saves us, he saves us to be a part of his church. 
He saves us so that, so that we might grow in faith and understanding, that we might be equipped, that we might be built up as his body, that we might foster relationships with other believers, that we might submit ourselves to godly leadership and grow in understanding, and so we might pursue our relationship with Christ, that it might be more glorious each and every day than it was the day before. God desires those relationships to be right in order that his church might be built up and that he might be glorified through us. We are striving to, look at verse 13, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's, what we're, that's our goal. We're trying, we're trying to be like Christ. We're trying to be like him. I want to close with a couple of verses from Romans chapter 14, verses 18 through 19, which just really, I think, summarize for us everything that we've been looking at this morning. And it says this there in, in Romans 14. It says, For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. That's our goal. That's our objective in order that Christ will be exalted and that God will be glorified. I don't know everybody's story in here. I don't know what God's doing in your life or in your heart. I don't know how, he's, how he may be impacting you or how he may be convicting you this morning. I don't know if you even have a, a real and true and genuine relationship with him. Maybe you're that person who grew up in the Christian home who just, you've just been relying on your parents' faith to get you along this whole time, and you need to make your faith your own this morning. Maybe for the first time you've just recognized, hey, you know what, I've, I've, been, I've been in this church, and, and I'm not doing what I need to do to, to, for the church to be what God's called it to be according to what Scripture's told me, and I, and I want to be that. Whatever God may be impressing upon you this morning, whatever conviction he's brought, I want to encourage you to do business with God this morning. I want you to submit your heart before him. I want you to ask, I want to ask if you would just stand with me right now. And I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I just want you to ask the Lord to search your heart and to ask the Lord to help you know what, how it is you're to respond today. And then I'm just going to ask you to be obedient. Jim's going to come and he's going to lead us in, in, in a song here in a minute. And it's and it's not, it's not our, our normal kind of uh, invitation song. We're going to sing to God be the glory here in just a minute. So, But before we get there, I just want to give you just a moment just quietly to pray. And then I'm going to pray for us, and then Jim's going to lead us in the song.